0: Last week, uh, really some understanding about uh, the cost of following Jesus, of being a disciple. And some dialogue that I had with somebody this week really kind of fell into line with how I think it's often viewed in the world and even in the church, maybe especially in the church. And that is, uh, people who are called Christians are often viewed differently as somebody who calls himself a disciple. Uh, You know, uh, so are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Well, that often means they go to church. They have some uh, evangelical bent, even if they may not know what evangelical means. Uh, They go to... It's a great day. Good to see you. So the idea that a Christian and a disciple are different has to do with kind of where we see commitment level. A Christian uh, is kind of socially acceptable, but a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, uh, that is, that is uh, different. I remember when I first became a believer, my brother-in-law at that time, Uh, He came to me, and he said, it's great that you're a believer now. He said, but just don't get weird. I said, well, like, what is weird? Well, you know, you know, where you just like, everything is about God, and, you know, some people start speaking in tongues, and they just get weird. So often, if if we're going to look different and sound different, it presents a challenge for everyone, for us and for other people. And over the last two weeks, it really began with a story from my own life uh, that I will just repeat briefly because we're going to build on it. But it really comes from Luke chapter 14. And the passage really describes uh, where Jesus is saying this. If someone is going to build a tower, they first have to consider the cost because there is a cost of building something like that and and so we have to wrestle with that cost because if you don't, then you get it halfway built, you can't finish it and everybody ridicules you that you could not finish what you set out to do. Jesus is using this as a metaphor. He goes on to use a different example. Uh, If... A king is going into war and he has 10,000 troops and he's going up against 20,000 troops. He has to consider the cost, the value. Is this going to work before he does this? I think very often people who have chosen to follow Christ uh, have not finished. They have dropped off somewhere. And it was hard for them to come back because they had made statements and promises that they broke that weren't true. In other words, their investment was not enough for them to finish the race. And for those of us who have walked away more than once, it gets harder and harder to walk back in and say, I mean it for real this time. It's a cost issue. So today, are we up? Oh, thank you. We moved it. (laughs) We are up. I I want us to understand there is a key to considering the cost, and it is really in considering the value. Uh, When we talk about considering the cost, and as I shared and Kim shared, there's this equilibrium in our lives. Uh, Kim used the example of the hamster wheel that you're not going anywhere. You're going in life, but you're not going anywhere. Uh, The same reality I used in this idea of equilibrium, where we really don't change much after X point. And quite often we say, well, it's my personality, it's my wiring, it's uh, my circumstances, it's my past. It's whatever it is that holds me in check into this person that i present every day whether i like this person or not how many people have had moments in your life where you really didn't like you you weren't impressed with you you know you you saw character flaws you saw things in you man i suck you know and you have to work through that and get somewhere else there's that equilibrium of life that we struggle with uh, again um There's this idea that there is a cost of following Jesus. And we have to truly understand what that cost is. Um, My my belief is, and I think scripture would share, is that cost has prevented us uh, from real change in what would be a course that was truly following him. The example I used was very fresh from a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was on eBay. For those of you who know me very long, my dream is to, you know, live on a yacht someday. Uh, My dream has been a Hatteras yacht. Uh, And there was one on eBay that was being auctioned off by a ministry. And this 45-foot, two-bedroom, two-bathroom yacht, twin-engine diesel, ocean-going was going for $3,500. I was looking at it 20 times a day. Drool. Dreams and imaginations. And I am fortunate enough to be married to such a woman that I can actually go in and have that conversation with her. And uh, we talked about it, and she looked at it online, and Are you going to bid on it? I already am bidding on it. And so as the conversation went on, uh, and there's some, this thing had been uh, auctioned a number of times and it looks like the auction, the person failed to pay or something. But but the bottom line is we had some history on what this boat was actually probably going to go for. And she was kind of using that against me um, by saying this what are you going to bid? And I was saying, you know, $4,200. And she said, well, she questioned my seriousness about really wanting the boat. Because she said, that number is not going to get you the boat. So if you want to play on the auction, if you want to look at it on eBay and and play, $4,200 will work. But if you want that boat, you're going to have to put more money on the table. And I felt like just immediately God began to work on me with, you have to consider the cost. And as I've reflected more on this story, I did not get the boat, um, if you're wondering, but I should have. It went for like $6,200. I know. Let's all bleed together for a moment. I would have the biggest, fastest-growing home group on the planet, wouldn't I? We're going to meet at sunset on the boat. You see, as I reflect further on part of my struggle, it was not just the money. There's a part of me secretly that is afraid. I'm going to pay a bunch of money and I'm going to have a boat on a giant trailer pulling into Lake Jackson, Texas and now I have to have a place to put the 32,000 pound boat. Where if you need to replace the exhaust on one of the diesels, it might be $2,500. Where people easily put forty dollars or $50,000 into a boat. I was afraid of the cost. Secretly. It's not about buying the boat. It's about not winding up with a boat anchor that's sitting in somebody's field because I can't afford a slip and to repair it and to and to and to. Do you know following Jesus is the same way? Quite often we're afraid of that cost. Just subconsciously afraid of that cost. And it prevents us from bidding very seriously. So like I got to play in the bid, I bid. My name is in there. You can go in and see that I played. I almost had a boat. You could say lots of different things. that would make me sound pretty good. And I think many of us go to church and we have a name tag over there that you can put on. You can call a church your home church, but you don't get a lot more than that for the cost that you're putting in. You don't get to drive it. You don't get to sit on it. You don't get to pay the cost to keep it up. You don't get any of that, but you can go into the old eBay file and see that I played. Um, I want us to look back This is out of chapter 14 um, Starting with verse 25 uh, In in the book of Luke This is the NIV And we're going to look at the setting And we're going to actually back up to where What was happening before Jesus said You need to consider the cost You need to count the cost Of following me Picture it this way. It goes something like this. and I'm, I'm not going to read it uh, completely. But what it says is there was a huge crowd following Jesus. And, and this was a crowd that had seen him work. They had seen uh, the benefits. Uh, Jesus was the 45-foot yacht, two bedrooms, air-conditioned, heating, radar, GPS, plotters, all this stuff. Jesus was the package, and everybody was getting on board. And that's when Jesus turns to them. And in a way that kind of is very counterintuitive to our political correctness and our being, uh, you know, friendly in churches, uh, Jesus turns to them and says, If anyone comes to me, this is in verse 26, and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a crowd pleaser, isn't it? Right away, I'm sure everybody was super impressed with that declaration. you can't be my disciple yeah you can follow you can follow you can eat some of our you know bread that we hand out you can be in some of the selfies with some of the other people but at the end of the day that's all you get unless you understand the cost And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Really indicating following me is all the way to death. So he's laid out the cost. This is what it costs. It's not about bragging. It's not about being mean. It's about saying, if any of these things are a priority over me, or equal to me, you will not finish this race. You won't do it. At the end of the day, you will have to continue to choose what is the priority of your life. And so the image looks like this. All others, all things, everything else, clearly, definitively, below me, on every level, in every way, forever, amen. And that's when you lose a lot of people. <clears throat> Jesus is really describing a reality of the world we live in, He's really saying, All Satan has to do, all life has to do is put any number of things to challenge me. You will not finish the race with me. You won't. Because these things, if you allow them to compete, they will win. So Jesus is clear about the value of what he offers and who he is. Here's what you give up. You give up your past. The good and the bad. Your accomplishments. All the things that make you uh, successful, whatever that may look like. It can cost you your friends. It can cost you family can cost you your way of life. There's a cost. And the way you understand the cost, the way you see how the cost is going to happen to you is put Jesus first, and you see what conflicts come up. When I accepted Christ, uh, all of a sudden, right away, I could see my lifestyle was a problem. I accepted Christ on Friday night, On Saturday night, I went out partying with my friends, and it was a wild and crazy night. But they didn't go together. And one had to rule the other. It was my choice. My lifestyle was the first thing to go. My character and my integrity were the next things that were challenged. I was a wonderfully talented liar, I'm, I mean, I, I convinced the waitress at Denny's that I was a linebacker for the Oilers at that time. Or the... Hey, don't be laughing. What do you think? I must have looked different at that time, huh? Actually, I, well, I did look different, but not that different. So here's the reality, and I want us to flip this thing to where I think Jesus is really communicating. What do you want? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? How do you want to finish? What do you want? You see, want, in this case, is tied up in value. What do you value? What is a priority to you? What is the thing you're going to call the deal breaker? What are the things that you're going to say you're going to hold out for? That's what Jesus is really pointing to. So I want us to look at Philippians. Paul takes our same scenario that Jesus did and he applies it to himself. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, starting verse 7. But whatever um, were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. You see how he's created this condition. I have surrendered all things. Now, Paul goes into the text and says, if anybody was capable of, of suggesting uh, that they should be able to hold on to things, that those things actually added to him as a righteous man, as a good man. If anybody ever had the ability to say, some of these things are godly enough that I've done, I should be able to hang on to them. It was Paul. Paul did not mess around. He was zealous for the word of God. He was, had excelled in position as a spiritual leader. He was a radical for the scripture. He was all of those things. That's what he threw away. That's what he considered garbage. What he considered garbage is all the memorization he had done. The fact that he could probably, you know, Recite Isaiah backwards. The fact that he made his entire life about following Jesus in this, I mean, uh, about following uh, the law in this uncompromising way. All the virtues, all the experiences, all of the things that he had done. He said, these are the things that now pale. These are the trash in my life. Many of us would stand in awe of of Paul and say, wow, I would just throw out a few things, Paul. I mean, some of those will work. Some of those are leading into the New Testament. Paul was not confused. No. Everything goes. I count it a loss that I may have the gain. He goes on that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He was no longer interested in getting there on his own. He had completely abandoned that concept. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So if you look at it, what you're seeing, Paul counted them as loss. And where we might look at the loss, and go, oh, the loss. He wasn't even looking at the loss. What he was looking at is what he was gaining. It was what he wanted that caught his attention, not what he was having to lay down. He considered that insignificant. Whatever he had to lay down compared to the value of what Christ offers. You could say it this way. To gain Christ is worth everything. To gain Christ is worth everything. And counting the cost is really about counting the value. You see, I believe our problem is we don't take seriously the cost because if we do, it is a completely crazy idea to follow Jesus unless you're willing to really look at the value. Our problem is we often... Are not even keenly aware of the value. I think in, in Christian circles, we, we try to often uh, generate value um, like this. You know, I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to follow Jesus. Uh, I'm going to tithe because, you know, you can't outgive God, and so I'm going to give God a bunch of money, so he's going to give me back even more money. My way to get rich is I'm going to give to God. The more money I need, the more I'm going to give to God. If I do good things, God's going to give me back good things. If I am blessing people and giving to people and generous with people, God's going to have people be generous back to me. And the the problem with all of that, that's all man-made. None of that is from the Bible. We made that. You know why we made that? We made that because we had to find some way to create value. It's because we're not really identifying relationship with Jesus and what he brings as real value. So I have to have something. We had a a person come here years ago and uh, they were doing all this studying on tithing and, Prosperity, And this person actually wanted to give a sermon to the church uh, about giving and how God outgives you. And, and uh, this person was running up their credit cards that this person could not pay, doing things for the church because this was the way this person was going to get wealthy. It didn't work The credit cards came due And that magic check from heaven Did not come We create this Value very often along the way If I do this God's going to give me the perfect spouse If I do this he'll heal me If I do this He'll take care of me You see, all of that is not considering anything lost. I'm trying to figure out a way that God actually becomes part of the process of giving me what I want. I haven't given up anything. I've added God as a weapon, as a tool to make it happen. Our our struggle there is we have a value problem. to know Christ to know Christ that settles the heart that preserves us that heals us that loves us the one that takes our flaws and begins to turn those around and begins to use us actually for his glory actually producing eternity From our very lives And we begin to see That God Is using us So at the same time He's healing us And transforming us He's using us For the healing And transforming of others We move on In Philippians 3 I want to know Christ Yes Yes to know the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For those who just think Paul has lost it, this is just kind of morbid. That is the human mindset that's not saying, Is there really a substance to God? Is he really at work in humanity? And does he really work within us? If that's true, then there's something terrific and powerful to be gained by knowing that and by experiencing it and expressing it. After Paul makes this comment, he comes back quickly to the people in Philippi and says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. This is my goal. I'm not there yet. All right, so we see he has set out a goal. This is where I am going, this thinking, this way of living, this value system, that's me. That's who I am. That's my focus. Oh, I'm not saying I've gotten there. I'm saying that's me. Now we see something where he's not saying that's who I am or that's my personality. He does not back in there. What he says is, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on. I'm pressing into it. I am pursuing what my goal is. You see, that equilibrium that we set up where we just don't change much anymore. And as we shared last week, most of us can go a year, we can look at our life and we can say all these really good reasons why things didn't change. You know, uh, yeah, I tried to save some money, but I had that car wreck and, You know, it really took me out of my game. Uh, There's always good reasons why I haven't done something I said I was going to do. I always have, I have very good reasons. And I can go all the way to my grave with very good reasons about who and what I am. But that's not this story. What Jesus offers you and I is to break out of the equilibrium that we have created, to break out of the prison called Bill, to break out of the hamster wheel mode that I pretty much have resigned myself to and to find a new reality that is totally different, to find values that are being placed in me that I am embracing to find a new way of living, to find a new way of responding to friends and enemies, to all of a sudden find that I am a blessing in Christ to other people, and to find I actually love my life. You see, That's a very different place. And when people are becoming blessed by you and I, because of Christ in you and I, we are becoming disciples. Paul restates it. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, I think I repeated that. Um, The brothers and sisters, go ahead. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's repeating that piece, but he comes back. But one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we have this reality that Paul sees his life where he's going to use discipline. He is pressing for a goal. It's an impossible goal. And he will achieve it. We see his language as it goes on in the next verse. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown That will last forever Therefore I do not run Like someone running aimlessly How many of our Christian efforts Are a bit aimless But The title on this is Train like you mean it Train to win This year What is different? What are you going to force to be different in your life as a part of the training for becoming that person? Skip to the next slide. This is actually the next part of the verse. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's using these examples to really say, do you want to follow him? There's a cost. And and it will require that you make that decision over and over again, that you choose Christ over and over again. Christ will begin by changing our minds. The scripture says he renews our mind. Do we see value that is worth everything? Do we understand that value that is worth everything? Are we counting the value? Because you see, you can't rightly count cost unless you're counting value, can you? If I told you that I could get a boat for $6,200 probably not too many people would be impressed. It's only when I tell you it's an ocean-going, 45-foot yacht with two bedrooms and two baths that all of a sudden that sounds like value, doesn't it? That's the only way you can really understand cost is if you're willing to embrace value. Is Jesus the one who loves your soul? Is he the one that's capable of overcoming every flaw you ever had? Is he capable of doing that? Is he willing to do that because he loves you? Is he embracing you as someone adopted into his family, as a son and daughter of God, taking a place in that royalty forever in all eternity? Is he really doing that? Is he committed to you and I and our process of growing to be more like him in this life? That's different than a name tag at the Brazosport Vineyard. Do you see the value that Jesus extends to you and I? He wants to be the person who loves you from the inside. He wants to be the power for that change in your life. You're not stuck with your personality. You're not stuck with your your attitudes, your ambitions, your jealousies, your angers, your rage, your insecurities. You're not stuck with any of that because Jesus has the power to trump every tragedy, every weakness, every unbelief. We're not victims in Christ. But when he comes in, he's going to want to change everything. Everything. Even the things you've done well, What he says, uh, we'll just get rid of those. That that trophy is the only good one I got. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's done. And then let the value be your focus. Focus on the value, not on the cost. Because once. Once you see the value, then the cost grows dim. And the last, live your life in flex with the value that always trains you. Kim was using the language we, we have to do things different. One foot in front of the other. Let change be a part of your life. And having a church family is about have others who are going on the same journey you are. And we go together. And you have people who challenge you, like Melinda challenged me. They challenge you on how you're seeing cost and how you're seeing value. They're helping me on how I interpret cost and value in my life. Because I need people who are helping me succeed in my disciplines, in my desire to walk differently. At the end of 2015 you have the ability to be largely where you are right now. It'll take very little work on your part. Survive, live, pay your bills the best you can, and you too in January can be sitting here roughly wrestling with the same things. You can do that the next year and the next year. or you can choose something different. Just the challenge is, if you you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. And what Jesus promises is, it's the best deal you'll ever have. The best offer you'll ever find if we could stand